0: Section twenty nine of India, Persia, Mesopotamia, and Palestine. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The World Story, Volume Two India, Persia, Mesopotamia, and Palestine. Edited by Eva March Tappan. Section twenty nine. THE TAJ-MAHAL, THE MOST BEAUTIFUL TOMB IN THE WORLD, MIDDLE OF THE 17TH CENTURY, BY Bayard TAYLOR. Shah Jahan was a famous builder of palaces and mosques. More beautiful than any of these, however, is the wondrously lovely Taj Mahal, which he built as the tomb of his favorite wife, the editor. I purposely postponed my visit to the Taj Mahal, the most renowned monument of Agra, until I had seen everything else in the city and its vicinity. The distant view of this matchless edifice satisfied me that its fame was well deserved. So pure, so gloriously perfect did it appear, that I almost feared to approach it, lest the charm should be broken. It is seen to best advantage from the tomb of Itman-e-Dala, the Prime Minister of Shah Jahan, which stands in a garden on the northern bank of the Jumna, directly opposite to the city. I spent an afternoon at this tomb and the Bagh, Garden of Rama, two miles further up the river. The former is a mausoleum of white marble, elegantly sculptured and inlaid, standing on a raised platform, from the corners of which rise marble minarets. Its design shows the same purity of taste, the same richness of fancy, which I had previously remarked in the Pearl Mosque, and afterwards in the Taj. The Bagh is a garden which, I believe, Formerly belonged to the Mongol emperors and is now kept in order as a place of recreation by the government. Too much praise cannot be awarded to the British rulers in India for the care with which they have restored and protected all of these monuments of the past, expending large sums to prevent the mosques, palaces, and tombs of the former rulers from falling into decay. On account of the humidity of the soil and the abundance of insects and reptiles, the Rambok is traversed by raised stone causeways the principal of which enclose water-tanks and fountains. It is a pleasant, shady retreat, with a stone balcony overhanging the rapid Juma, and commanding a view of many ruined palaces on the opposite bank. There are suites of apartments, comfortably furnished, which are let to visitors at the rate of a rupee per day. But when the applications are frequent, no one is allowed to stay more than eight days in order to give a chance to others. My friends brought their servants and a handsome tiffin, Of which we all partook in the largest chamber. We returned across the bridge of boats in the evening. The Hindus had lighted lamps in front of the many little shrines facing the water, and in some of them stood persons waving a torch back and forth before the face of the god, crying out at the same time, Ram, 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 Sita, Ram. This ceremony, with the pouring of the Jumna water over the image and decorating it with wreaths of flowers, appeared to be the only form of worship observed there are more substantial offerings made, but if the god gets them, the Brahmins take care that he shall not keep them. To return to the Taj, for the reader expects me to describe it, and I must comply, although reluctantly, for I am aware of the difficulty of giving an intelligible picture of a building which has no counterpart in Europe or even in the East. The mosques and palaces of Constantinople, the domed tent of Omar at Jerusalem, and the structures of the Saracens and Memlocks in Cairo, have nothing in common with it. The remains of Moorish art in Spain approach nearest to its spirit, but are only the scattered limbs, the torso, of which the Taj is the perfect type. It occupies that place in Saracen art, which, during my visit to Constantinople, I mistakenly gave to the Soleimane mosque, and which, in respect to Grecian art, is represented by the Parthenon. If there were nothing else in India, this alone would repay the journey." The history and associations of the taj are entirely poetic. It is a work inspired by love and consecrated to beauty. Shah Jahan, the Selim of Moore's poem, erected it as a mausoleum over his queen, Nur Jahan, the light of the world, whom the same poet calls Nur Mahal, the light of the harem, or more properly palace. She is reputed to have been a woman of surpassing beauty and of great wit and intelligence shah jahan was inconsolable for her loss and has immortalized her memory in a poem the tablets of which are marble and the letters jewels for the taj is poetry transmuted into form and hence when a poet sees it he hails it with the rapture of a realized dream few persons of the thousands who sigh over the pages of laharuk are aware that the light of the harem was a real personage and that her tomb is one of the wonders of the world The native miniature painters in Delhi show you her portrait, painted on ivory, a small rather delicate face, with large dark piercing eyes, and black hair flowing from under a scarf adorned with peacock's feathers. The Taj is built on the bank of the Jumna, rather more than a mile to the eastward of the fort of Agra. It is approached by a handsome road cut through the mounds left by the ruins of ancient palaces. Like the tomb of Akbar, it stands in a large garden, enclosed by a lofty wall of red sandstone, with arched galleries around the interior. The entrance is a superb gateway of sandstone, inlaid with ornaments and inscriptions from the Quran in white marble. Outside of this grand portal, however, is a spacious quadrangle of solid masonry, with an elegant structure intended as a cannaversary on the opposite side. Whatever may be the visitor's impatience, he cannot help pausing to notice the fine proportions of these structures, and the rich and massive style of their architecture. The gate to the garden of the Taj is not so large as that of Akbar's tomb, but quite as beautiful in design. Passing under the open demi vault, whose arch hangs high above you, an avenue of dark Italian cypresses appears before you. Down its center sparkles a long row of fountains, each casting up a single slender jet. On both sides, the palm, the banyan, and the feathery bamboo mingle their foliage. The song of birds meets your ear and the odor of roses and lemon-flowers sweetens the air. Down such a vista, and over such a foreground, rises the Taj. It is an octagonal building, or rather a square with the corners truncated, and each side precisely similar. It stands upon a lofty platform or pedestal, with a minaret at each corner, and this, again, is lifted on a vast terrace of solid masonry. An oriental dome, swelling out boldly from the base unto nearly two-thirds of a sphere, and tapering at the top into a crescent-tipped spire, crowns the edifice, rising from its center, with four similar, though much smaller, domes at the corners. On each side there is a grand entrance, formed by a single pointed arch, rising nearly to the cornice, and two smaller arches, one placed above the other, on either hand. The height of the building, from its base to the top of the dome, is two hundred and sixty-two feet, and of the minarets about two hundred feet but no words can convey an idea of the exquisite harmony of the different parts and the grand and glorious effect of the whole structure with its attendant minarets the material is of the purest white marble little inferior to that of carrara it shines so dazzlingly in the sun that you can scarcely look at it near at hand except in the morning and evening every part even the basement the dome and the upper galleries of the minarets is inlaid with ornamental designs in marble of different colors, principally a pale brown and a bluish-violet variety. Great as are the dimensions of the Taj, it is as laboriously finished as one of those Chinese caskets of ivory and ebony which are now so common in Europe. Bishop Herber truly said, The pathans designed like titans, and finished like jewelers. Around all the arches of the portals and the windows, round the cornice and the domes, On the walls and in the passages are inlaid chapters of the Koran, the letters being exquisitely formed of black marble. It is asserted that the whole of the Koran is thus inlaid in the Taj, and I can readily believe it to be true. The building is perfect in every part. Any dilapidations it may have suffered are so well restored that all traces of them have disappeared. I ascended to the base of the building, a gleaming marble platform almost on a level with the tops of the trees in the garden. Before entering the central hall, I descended to the vault where the beautiful Noor Jahan is buried. A sloping passage, the walls and floor of which have been so polished by the hands and feet of thousands that you must walk carefully to avoid sliding down, conducts to a spacious vaulted chamber. There is no light but what enters the door, and this falls directly upon the tomb of the queen in the center. Shah Jahan, whose ashes are covered by a simpler cenotaph raised somewhat above hers, sleeps by her side. The vault was filled with the odors of rose, jasmine, and sandalwood, the precious attars of which are sprinkled upon the tomb. Wreaths of beautiful flowers lay upon it, or withered round its base. These were the true tombs, the monuments for display being placed in the grand hall above, which is a lofty rotunda, lighted both from above and below by screens of marble wrought in filigree. It is paved with blocks of white marble and jasper, and ornamented with a wainscoting of sculptured tablets representing flowers. The tombs are sarcophagi of the purest marble, exquisitely inlaid with bloodstone, agate, cornelian, lapis lazuli, and other precious stones, and surrounded with an octagonal screen six feet high, in the open tracery of which lilies, irises, and other flowers are interwrought with the most intricate ornamental designs. This is also of marble covered with precious stones. From the resemblance of this screen and the workmanship of the tomb to Florentine Mosaic, it is supposed by some to have been executed by an Italian artist, and I have often heard it stated that the Taj was designed by an Italian architect. One look at the Taj ought to assure any intelligent man that this is false, nay impossible, from the very nature of the thing. The Taj is the purest Saracenic, in form, proportions, and ornamental designs. If that were not sufficient, we have still the name of the Muslim architect sculpted upon the building." I consider it extremely doubtful whether any Italian had anything to do with the work, though it is barely possible that one may have been employed upon the screen around the tombs. In the weekly account of the expenditures for the building of the Taj, there is a certain sum mentioned as paid to the foreign stone-cutter, who may either have been Italian, Turkish, or Persian. As for the flowers, represented in bas-relief on the marble panels, it has been said that they are not to be found in India. Now these flowers as near as they can be identified are the tulip the iris both natives of persia and the lotus but i noticed a curious feature in the sculpture which makes it clear to me that the artist was a native the flowers lack perspective which would never have been the fault of an italian artist of shah jahan's time about the middle of the seventeenth century bishop heber has declared that he recognized italian art in the ornaments of the taj but he declared also that its minarets have no beauty that the fort of Agra is built of granite, and fell into many other glaring errors, both of taste and observation, which I have no time to point out. The dome of the Taj contains an echo more sweet than that in the papistry of Pisa, which is the finest in Europe. A single musical tone uttered by the voice floats and soars overhead in a long delicious undulation, fainting away so slowly that you hear it after it is silent, as you see, or seem to see, a lark that you have been watching, after it is swallowed up in the blue of heaven. I pictured to myself the effect of an Arabic or Persian lament for the lovely Nur Jahan sung over her tomb. The responses that would come from above, in the pauses of the song, must resemble the harmonies of angels in paradise. The hall, notwithstanding the precious materials of which it is built, and the elaborate finish of its ornaments, has a grave and solemn effect, infusing a peaceful serenity of mind, such as we feel when contemplating a happy death stern unimaginative persons have been known to burst suddenly into tears on entering it and whoever can behold the taj without feeling a thrill that sends the moisture to his eye has no sense of beauty in his soul the taj truly is as i have already said a poem it is not only a pure architectural type but also a creation which satisfies the imagination because its characteristic is beauty did you ever build a castle in the air here is one brought down to earth and fixed for the wonder of ages. Yet so light it seems, so airy, and, when seen from a distance, so like a fabric of mist and sunbeams, with its great dome soaring up, a silvery bubble about to burst in the sun, that, even after you have touched it and climbed to its summit, you almost doubt its reality. The four minarets which surround it are perfect, no other epithet will describe them. You cannot conceive of their proportions being changed in any way without damage to the general effect. On one side of the Taj is a mosque with three domes, of red sandstone, covered with mosaic of white marble. Now, on the opposite side, there is a building precisely similar, but of no use whatever, except as a balance to the mosque, lest the perfect symmetry of the whole design should be spoiled. This building is called the Jod, or Anser. Nothing can better illustrate the feeling for proportion which prevailed in those days, and proportion is art. In comparing these masterpieces of architecture with the moorish remains in spain which resembled them most nearly i have been struck with the singular fact that while in the central seats of the moslem empire art reached but a comparative degree of development here in india and there on the opposite and most distant frontiers it attained a rapid and splendid culmination the capitals of the caliphs and the sultans baghdad cairo damascus and constantinople stand far below agra and delhi granada and seville in point of architecture Notwithstanding the latter cities have but few and scattered remains. It is not improbable that the Moorish architects, after the fall of Granada, gradually made their way to the eastward, and that their art was thus brought to India, or at least that they modified and improved the art then existing. The conquest of India by Babur, grandson of Timberlaine and grandfather of Akbar, is almost coeval with the expulsion of the Moors from Granada. But the sun grows hot, it is nearly noon. We have spent three hours in and around the Taj, and we must leave it. Nothing that is beautiful can be given up without a pang, but if a man could travel he must endure many such partings. I must add, however, before we go, that on the opposite bank of the Jumna there is an immense foundation terrace whereupon, it is said, Shah Jahan intended to erect a tomb for himself of equal magnificence, but the rebellion of his sons and his own death prevented it. What the gods permitted to love. They forbade to vanity a Sheikh who takes care of the Taj told me that had the Emperor carried out his design, the tombs were to have been joined by a bridge with a silver railing on each side. He told me that the Taj, with its gateways, mosques, and other buildings attached, had cost seven quarries of rubies, thirty-five million dollars. This, however, is quite impossible when we consider the cheapness of labor in those days, and I believe the real cost is estimated at three million pounds fifteen million dollars. Which does not seem exaggerated. End of section twenty nine. This recording is in the public domain. Recording by Todd.